Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, it's the Planet Football Podcast. Grant Wall coming to you from Madrid, Spain, of all places today. I'm here with Luis Miguel Echegaray from New York. How are you doing, Luis Miguel? I'm jealous. I want to be there. I want to be there, Grant. (laughs) What can I do? Tell me right now what I can do. Spain, I love Spain. I love Madrid. I love it. How are you, my friend? I'm doing okay. Doing okay. Uh, had a couple magazine stories I was working on over the last week over here in Europe. I uh, was up in Liverpool with Jurgen Klopp. Uh, as a side benefit, got to write about Jesse Marsh's game uh, in Champions League there, which was wild. We'll talk about that later. Uh, then came down here to Spain to do a story on the guy I like to call OG Ronaldo. Yeah, Brazilian this is where Ronaldo, I'm really jealous. <laughs> and... Uh, Looking forward to telling that story, but uh, through the the magic of modern technology, we're able to connect across the ocean and record this podcast. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Again, jealous again. Ronaldo, the OG Ronaldo, one of my favorite players ever. So I'm very excited uh, to see what you cooked up there, and uh, you know, glad that you are safe. And but no, all good in New York. It's. Uh, NYC time, it's soccer time, a lot of action this past weekend, so I'm just ready to get on with it. Crazy busy weekend. We're going to be talking about a lot of things in this podcast. Obviously, we're going to start, as always, with the Premier League, Liverpool being eight points clear of Man City, and Man United and Spurs are imploding in front of our eyes. We're going to talk about Juventus's statement win at Inter in Italy. We're going to talk about Jesse Marsh's epic week. We're going to talk about the MLS final day of the regular season. Lots going on there as they head into the playoffs. And we'll get into Jill Ellis's final game with the U.S. women's national team. But let's start with the Premier League. Eight points that Liverpool is now clear of Man City after Man City's loss to Wolves and Liverpool beating Leicester at the death. Let's start with the City loss against Wolves. Yet another stunning loss uh, by City. They lost to Norwich a couple weeks ago. This one was at home to Wolves 2-0. What do you think about all this, man? Well, you know what? There are two things here that are worth talking about, I think. Okay, The first one is something that we've been discussing for a while, right? Which is the lack of aggression from Man City's perspective in getting another center back. Uh, Vincent Company's uh, exit, uh, Americ Laporte's uh, injury, uh, you know, really was proven this past weekend on how Wolves just capitalized. Let's, you know, I want to talk a lot about Raul Jimenez, who was 
all over Man City this weekend. He was fantastic, moving the chains, holding the ball, going from left to right. He assisted Adama Traore on both goals. He was incredible. And part of the reason was he was such a headache was because the center backs did not know what to do. And I think part of it is just fatigue, right? Like they don't have the depth at the back to contain teams who, especially well-organized teams like Luna Spiritus Santos' Wolves, to really do this. And that to me was a big point of it. And I think the other one was obviously Man City had a few chances, but it was worrying to me that there was a lack of fire uh, in certain times Mm -hmm. of the game. I think it was... You know, this was more about Wolves taking it to City as opposed to the other way around. Of course, you're going to see chances, you're going to see possession, but this was a Man City that looked vulnerable, not just defensively, but from a mentality perspective, and and it was clear to see. It's it's talking specifically about this game, and and that really was what came out. But again, Raul Jimenez and co. were outstanding and fully deserved, uh, you know, to take it to them. Plus, you didn't mention that Raul Jimenez killed a man. Nicholas Otamendi <laughs> on the first goal gets totally nutmeg by Raul Jimenez uh, before he ends up passing to Traore. And just uh, a tremendous counterattack goal by Wills to stun the crowd uh, at the Etihad. Um, you know, very similar on the second goal, also very late uh, from Jimenez to Traore. And... Uh, First off, I, I get really bothered when I continue to hear British announcers pronounce uh, Raul's last name as Jimenez. Uh, I hope that stops. Uh, well, I've already explained why it happens, and we've already explained that they shouldn't do it anymore. So now it's just about ignorance. Like, come on, <laughs> Jimenez. Come on now. But, but uh, you look at, at what's happening there at City, and you mentioned, uh, you mentioned John Stones also is out with an injury. It right. almost makes me wonder if we... If they're going to go after Vincent Company in the January window, like, you know, the captain seeing what's happening there and feels like he needs to come back and make things right. I doubt that will happen. But uh, I, I think they've really missed Company in a lot of ways so far this season. And I'm not going to go so far as to say right now that uh, that City's, you know, out of this. I even had a, a question come in saying, should City start focusing on Europe uh, and not so much the league and like, come on, it's, it's eight points. They were behind quite a bit by Liverpool last, or behind Liverpool last season before they came back and won the league. And I think Liverpool actually showed last year that you can compete on two fronts, mm. that you can try to win Champions League while trying to win the league and do just fine. But uh, if you're Pep Guardiola, what do you try and do right now to, to try and close this gap? Well... Um, and I'll, I'll mention my thoughts about the title race after we talk about Liverpool, Leicester, I guess. But, you know, there, there are a few things. First of all, I think that Guardiola has to now be a little less stubborn on his formational strategies. One of the reasons why Wolves held their nerve was because they really had this sort of five-man midfield supporting Jimenez and Cutrone. So, you know, they they knew that Okay, if we can, you know, sort of nullify the assist or provision of players like Rodrigo or David Silva and, you know, make Riyad Maris and Sterling play more central, then then you can have a better chance at really going at them, right? So I think that he needs to start thinking about what kind of formation do I want to play specifically when I play against other opponents? Like, do I solidify more the midfield? Do I maybe put 
you know, two at top instead of just Sergio Aguero or Gabriel Jesus. I don't know. I think it's 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 part of formation. But the other part, I mean, it's a blessing in disguise that the international break is coming now. They completely need a mental recheck and reevaluate who they are as a team. Um, I wouldn't go as far as say like, you know, this is a complete disaster. It's a bad loss for sure. But like you said, nobody wins a premiership title in October. So there's still a lot to rectify. But if I'm trying to compare the things that we saw Man City last season to now, there are definitely some things that need adjusting. And I go back to your point, actually. Uh, the reason why we keep talking about Vincent Company is not just because of Vincent Company, but it's because of what he brought, which is leadership. Somebody needs to take a leadership status right now. Somebody needs to stand up for the entire Man City and just say, we are the defending champions and we have to really deliver on a consistent basis and we have to do it soon. I mean, yes, the Watford, uh, you know, destruction was, was, was nice to see, but it was Watford. Like you need to do this day in and day out and they better figure it out quick. Uh, otherwise this deficit, uh, you know, behind Liverpool will get bigger and bigger. But again, I, I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about it in a second. This is a message for both Liverpool fans and Man City fans. Nobody wins a premiership title in October, and there's still a lot, a lot of football to be played. Let's talk about Liverpool. Uh, you know, really uh, interesting game against Leicester City. Uh, Leicester better than most anyone expected this season. Uh, and, you know, Liverpool was the better team in this game, but still, Leicester uh, very closely came to a 1-1 here and ended Liverpool's uh, run of wins, ends up being a situation where Liverpool gets the 95th minute penalty. Uh, James Milner took it awfully, awfully well. Uh, and, and they're still perfect in the league now after eight games. That is, what is that, 17 straight wins yep. in the league going back to last season by Liverpool. Only one behind the record set by Man City. Um, I mean, we're in agreement here, right, that that was a, that was a legit penalty call, right? It was. I, I, it was a legit penalty. Uh, and, you know, s sometimes I think people mistake what a penalty should constitute for, which you, it needs to be an aggressive foul. No, it just needs to be a foul and an impediment from, you know, the player, you know, moving forward. And that's exactly what happened with Sadio Mane. Yes, Sadio Mane definitely uh, maybe sold it a little bit, but it, it was a foul. It was, there was nothing, you know, and then when VR rechecked, there was definitely, you know, an obstruction uh, away from Sadio Mane trying to get the ball. So it was a penalty for sure. It's just the, in the manner in which it happened, the fact that it was literally the last moments of the game was unbelievable. I go back to the conversation we had a couple of weeks ago where you were making the argument that at this point in time and for a little while now that Mane has been the focal point up front uh, for Liverpool taking over for Salah. You still feel that way? Yeah, I do. I mean, look, look just um, there's no denying of what Salah does. Uh, but now, you know, Sadio Mane has really come into his own. I mean, he, we already know how good he is. But I think the difference between the last few seasons and what he does now is that he is way less hesitant about what he wants to do. He is extremely, he's actually, it's funny, he's like Mohamed Salah's, first season at Liverpool 
in many ways. I mean, they have similar right. attributes, but like what Sadio Mane now does, Sadio Mane does is he's a he provides, he creates space, and he's scoring goals. His finishing is 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 really on point right now, and he's just causing havoc. Sadio Mane is such a versatile player that you could put him anywhere along you know, behind the front man, and he will cause some problems. And to me right now, if you're like the opponent and you're thinking, who is the person at Liverpool right now that we really have to focus on? Obviously, they have so much talent, but Sadio Mane is the biggest threat right now. James Madison with another good goal for Leicester. Um, I love that guy, and I love the way Leicester's playing overall. This is a team that I really think can finish in the top four this season, and that's why this game was... Uh, had so much anticipation, maybe more than it would have otherwise. Obviously, you had Brendan Rodgers coming back to Liverpool. I didn't realize until this week that Klopp is actually renting his house in Liverpool from Brendan Rodgers, which is kind of insane. I wonder if there's a 30% off, uh, you know, if they they win on on the month that they play against each other. Something tells me, by the way, that... uh, do you remember the Being Liverpool documentary when Rodgers was the coach oh and God. he had like a, a portrait of himself up? <laughs> I, I, I don't think Jurgen Klopp does that. I don't think he's got a portrait of himself up in his house. No, but Brendan Rodgers', Brendan Rodgers uh, picture of himself is still there, I bet, <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> he's only renting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He can't move anything. <laughs> But it's interesting. I was in Liverpool for part of the last week, and and I was there in the lead-up to this game, if not for the game itself. And so it was interesting to hear people in Liverpool talk about Rodgers coming back and how he sort of revived himself. Uh, You know, he had to go to Celtic, uh, then comes back to the Premier League, and he's doing so well with Leicester uh, early on that now people are talking about Brendan Rodgers as potentially going to a big club. Uh, at some point here uh, from Leicester. Do you think that's a a real possibility? I mean, listen, we can't, you know, he was very close on winning the title himself with Liverpool, right? So this is a a manager that knows what he's doing. He obviously did well in Scotland. Um, You know, like you said, things like a painting of himself on the wall. And I remember the infamous, you know, the envelope thing he did in training. Uh, you know, there are certain quirks and ideas that, that you like to think, but I, I'm with you. I think he's, he's, he's re, just like Leicester, he is reconfiguring his own identity once again. And th- this Leicester team just lost to a team on fire right now. Um, we tipped them to be a, a strong squad for this season, but the way they're playing is fantastic. Who knows where Leicester City will end up by the end of the season, but if it continues, Brendan Rodgers will be a hot topic for other clubs. I mean, what do you think? Do you think he will stay with Leicester depending on the season? I think I think that he is that kind of person that, that can definitely get another job. I mean, depending on how high Leicester does. Yeah, it's it's awfully early in his time at yeah. Leicester to be thinking seriously about him making another move. And you know, what typically happens, we're now in this October international window, and every year at this international window, you've played enough games where a few teams are in so-called crises and people are wondering if they're going to make a managerial change. But I honestly, and, and we'll talk about Spurs and Man United in a second here, I don't see them making a coaching change during this October window. Um, I don't know when they might, but... Um, I, I think it's probably a little too early to think of, of Brendan Rodgers as like a serious candidate for a place like that, even if they were to make a change. But, 
you know, we'll see. It's good to have him back in the league. Um, one thing I would say before we move on to Chelsea is I was in Liverpool for about five days this week, and it is incredible how much Jurgen Klopp has taken over that city. You know, <laughs> like I, I checked into my hotel and literally on the inside of the elevator of my hotel was a giant Jurgen Klopp picture which said boom on it <laughs> and had the six stars for the six Champions League European Cup wins for Liverpool underneath. I got into a, a car and my driver said, and he knew I was going to Melwood, the training ground for Liverpool, to interview somebody because I told him I was a journalist. And he goes, oh, you're going to see God, the German God. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> I am. So um, I would expect nothing it, less from the city of Liverpool to, uh, I mean, listen, there should be banners and posters everywhere with Jurgen Klopp. He's just such an infectious, successful, charismatic manager. So let's talk about Chelsea. They win again away to Southampton, 4 nothing, easy victory in this game. Christian Pulisic does not start, but does end up coming on and getting a team-leading fourth assist on the season to Mishi Batshuayi, his former running mate at Dortmund. Look at Chelsea right now. You know, there's been a lot of questions about Frank Lampard, and and Pulisic has dominated a lot of the American discussion of you know why isn't he playing more, but Chelsea's starting to get some real results here. Absolutely. Listen, we've talked about this. Blessing in disguise, this transfer ban. This, there are players that are will, that are very talented, ready for the Premier League, that because they know each other so well, too, that's something that we probably haven't talked that much about. There is a cohesion with Chelsea, a sort of real understanding of a squad amongst each player that you can really see, and it suits Frank Lampard's you know, system. Um Callum Hudson-Odoi and Mason Mount, Tammy Abraham, linking really well with players like Jorginho and Golo Kante. You have like this real uh, connection amongst it, and you can see it. Some of the goals were fantastic. Tammy Abraham just keeps elevating his game so much uh, that it's just so great to see. And it and it's again, it's a pla- uh, tra- you know a blessing in disguise the fact that they had to rely on all these graduates who understand the Chelsea culture and the Chelsea way. Uh, that that Frank Lampard wants. In terms of Christian Pulisic, what did I say to you last week, man? If he has his moment, he will grab it and he will take it. And it was a beautiful assist uh, from Ishibatsuai only minutes after coming on um, as a sub in the second half. And and it's good to see. So, you know, uh, you can't deny the stats right now. You can't deny the fact that players like William and Callum hudson Adoya are delivering, and then every time Pulisic comes on, he's going to provide. So this is this is good times for Chelsea right now. It's good. Let's talk more about Tammy Abraham. Eight goals now in eight games in the league. And you followed him for a while, obviously. You're an Aston Villa fan, so you've seen more of Tammy Abraham over the last couple of years than than most people have. Did you think that he had what it took to make this kind of a start with Chelsea in the Premier League this season? So here's my so here's my answer to that. I remember when he was um, at Bristol City on loan from Chelsea, which was the first team mm-hmm. that he joined on loan from Chelsea. It was 2016-2017 season. Um, there he, he scored over 20 goals. Then he went to Swansea after that, uh, and the goal ratio wasn't as big, but there was a clear development in his game. Tommy Abraham is an extremely interesting, unique striker because he possesses both aerial threat, 
but he's also really quick and really, really good with his first touch. For somebody that size, like he's 6'3", I believe, it's really impressive to see. But one of the things that he really had to work on was taking the most out of his chances that were just, you know, your bread and butter chances. You know, your 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 finishing that needed to be just like instinct for you, right? He sometimes missed some real sitters, right? And that's what really struggled with Tammy specifically in the beginning of his Aston Villa season, uh, his Aston Villa loan. And then the thing, you know, he really worked on just the specifics. And now what you see is a complete player. Not a complete player in terms of like this, he's reached his peak, but somebody that truly understands his technical abilities. And you can see it for Chelsea now. You can see it. Look at the goals that he's scoring. He's scoring every type of goal. He's in the air. He's taking you on. He's making moves uh, to center backs. To Like this past weekend, he's go- I mean, you know, there was a, a little bit of a happenstance situation when he like lobbed the keeper and you needed eagle eye technology. But like his finishing is now multi-dynamic and that's what Chelsea needed. And and it's, it's, it's just such a great thing to see. And let's remember something and I'll finish it with this. He is 22 years old. <laughs> He just turned twenty. Yeah, he just yeah. he just turned twenty two too, like this month. So like there is such a ceiling for him to hit, and it's it's just great to see. I'm I'm personally very happy for him. He's a hardworking kid who just wanted his chance, and and, and it's good to see. Just a a really tremendous finish, an unusually tremendous finish uh, over the weekend here in this game against Southampton by Abraham, where he flicks the ball ahead of the the advancing goalkeeper really high in the air and it kind of perfectly came down right just over the goal line right before it was cleared out and in goal line technology which i kind of love like gets it right immediately and uh just you know an impressive finish uh and it seems like chelsea to me performs better away from stamford bridge Mm. at least so far this season you saw this week uh, in Champions League, after they had lost match on match day one at home against uh, Valencia, mm. they go to Lille needing to get a win and get that win away from home. And I think that was big for this team. And then going away to Southampton over the weekend, uh, this is a team that still has only won one league game at home this season. And they got to start getting results at Stamford Bridge after the window. I guess we'll get to see if they can do that. Absolutely. And one more thing about Tommy, he's in the England squad. So... You know, it'll be good to see this international break to see how he does there. So from the upper half of the table to the bottom half, well, I guess they're not in the bottom half, but they feel like they're in the bottom half. Manchester United and Spurs lower on the table. And I ask you this question. Uh, both these teams lost over the weekend. United one nothing at Newcastle. Spurs 3 nothing loss against Brighton. Which club is in a worse place right now, United or Spurs? Well, I mean, you say, you know, kind of bottom. I mean, Man United are two points above the relegation zone. I know that it's, uh, it's I know that it's, uh, that it's only um, October, but that is catastrophic, not just because of what's happening right now on the table, but I tweeted it this weekend. I mean, the 90s was Man United's decade, and it was, they were a fear, feared team, hated team. Thanks to Sir Alex Ferguson's identity, they were just like this tremendously aggressive team that didn't give up from minute one to the last minute of stoppage time. And now look at them. And we've talked about this a lot. This is about 
the fact that, and it's more than, you know, no director of football. This is about the ownership. It's about the overall vision that this club has intended to have or doesn't have at all for so many years. There is no clear... I mean, I was watching this game this weekend because I watched it. I watched this game and sometimes it was really just incredible to see that in many times when they had the ball they didn't really know what to do they were like just trying to figure some kind of answer creatively and it was really scary to see and you can see it now like the fact that they're 12th Newcastle United gave it their all well done but this is not a strategically well-smarted team United if they came with a plan could have gotten something out of it and it didn't and this has been going on for a while now all credit to Newcastle great win uh, Matty Longstaff uh, 19 year old scoring that winner but this was just such a scary scary time if you're a Manchester United because fan because you don't know where, where this is going um, so I'm worried. I'm worried for, and we talked about this, but I think, you know, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is a great man. He's a legendary star player for that club, but, and he's not the only problem, but I think he represents the frustration and the lack of identity that this club truly needs. And it, and it's really, it's clear to see. Yeah. And if I, if, we're answering which club is in a worse place, United oh. or Spurs. I think it's obviously United. I think the answer was um, there. I'm sorry. Yeah, I think it's Hovers Tottenham. Tottenham has issues, and we'll talk about it. And obviously, I want your thoughts on it. But I would go with United right now. Yeah. I mean, Spurs has had a, a miserable season so far. Uh, a miserable 2019. 17 losses now for Spurs in all competitions in 2019. That's more than any other English top flight team. Spurs in the league, winless in its last 10 Premier League games, uh, only two ties over those 10 games, eight losses. Uh, miserable week, losing 7-2 to at home to Bayern Munich, and then losing 3-0 at Brighton right after that. Um, it, but keep in mind here, you know, Spurs was in the Champions League final just this year, so mm. uh, they're in a bad spot, and, and Pochettino's got issues to deal with here, and it's sort of more of a... I would look at it as a, uh, you know, it's a crisis, okay, but I, I don't think Pochettino's leaving in the, this international window. I think he's still got a chance to to turn things around, but Tottenham just hasn't been very good so far this season. Um, United, it's it's not just sort of your garden variety crisis. It's like this years-long decline yeah. that has basically been happening ever since Sir Alex Ferguson left, or some would argue that maybe since... Uh, the owners bought the team. Um, And and there's a real question now, I think, of, uh, you know, should these owners continue to be in place? Do they have the interest of Manchester United at heart? Yeah, I agree. Listen, I think when you talk about Tottenham a little bit, just I want to, because I've already talked about United, but the Tottenham, you know, one, I think the international break, comes at a perfect time for Mauricio Pochettino for them to reflect because there is an identity with Tottenham. It's just not Right. It's not seen right now. We know what a Tottenham team kind of brings under Mauricio Pochettino. We know the highs that he has brought uh, since 2014, his arrival. This is a this is a manager that truly understands what he wants and how he wants a team to play. United don't have a vision right now. There is no identity. So that would be the difference. The other thing is Again, this is a conversation that we have had both on Planet Football TV and personally and on podcasts. It was always, if you want to be a top four contender, 
Forget that. If you want to be a premiership team, you need a deep squad. If you want to be a top four contender, you need a strong, deep squad. Tottenham is not deep. They don't have enough depth. And when you require this uh, aggressive, high-press game plan that Pochettino usually asks for, it's just human nature to realize that these players are just going to break at some point and not give you more than they can. I think, and I think that's kind of what's happening. You know, there needs to be some kind of press the restart button situation and identify what's going to happen. But I think part of the problem is like, when you look at this team, they're tired. (laughs) And that's scary because it's October. Yeah, I, I would also point out a couple of things here. One, on, on Manchester United, they still have the highest payroll in the Premier League, Man United. Incredible. And look at what that's getting them right now. Incredible. So, you know, there's obviously different factors that go into the success of a team. Um, you know, one of the things I've been looking into and asking people about is how much of a difference do you think a great manager makes? Right. You know, when you talk about a guy like Klopp, because... You know, Liverpool is not the wealthiest team in Europe. They're the European champion, but uh, Liverpool typically is seventh or eighth in the money league listing of of annual revenue. So, how much of a difference does Klopp make in bringing Liverpool from eighth in European spending to being the European champions? A, a fairly significant amount, I would think. Absolutely. Um, you know, but you look at other things too, and you mentioned depth. And I think that's a good transition into our next discussion as we move away from England into elsewhere in Europe, as we do every week here. Um, Juventus wins two to one at Inter in the game of the season so far in Serie A. And with Juventus, what we've been talking about heading into the season was they almost had too much depth. They had so much, so many big names. Right that they didn't sell all of them, didn't move all of them, and you're sort of wondering, so how is this going to work? Well, in this game, Maurizio Sarri decides to start Paolo Dybala, who scores early. Uh, You know, Dybala, they're trying to move him, trying to move him, didn't get it done. Um, And also, Sarri does not start Aaron Ramsey, starts Bernardeschi instead, uh, does not start Gonzalo Higuain, but then brings Higuain on, who, who scores the game winner, and it seems like at least in this very big game, Maurizio Sarri found a way to use that Juventus depth, took some risks in what he decided to do, and it really paid off. Yeah, I agree. This was a great game. This was a great game, and it lived up to the Derby d'Italia uh, reputation. Um, as you said, he gambled on Paolo Dybala. He started him, and he repaid him with a great goal at the very beginning. And um, listen... I don't know. Again, it's it's early, but this was this was definitely the, the toughest test for Juventus yet. Um, playing um, at the San Zero away at Inter Milan, a team that was hot, even though losing, playing well and losing to Barcelona midweek. But you knew that Antonio Conte wanted to do something um, over his old team too, <laughs> if we remember that. But I think Sarri really really managed this one well. Um, with Matuidi, Pjanic, and Kadira in that sort of midfield right behind Bernadeschi um, and really contained what was a really strong, obviously, five-man midfield for um, for Inter. But it was such a... And like you said, I think something that Sarri probably does is you want to play? Show me that you want to play. And Higuain, you could see how, how much that goal meant to him 
uh, when when you know he helped Juventus grab the lead. It was it was a really great game. Another good strong performance from Lukaku and Lautaro Martinez too. Um, and this this area uh, title race is going to be super interesting. The more the more the months continue. I do think it was really cool to sort of. It felt like a bit of a throwback. The San Siro was rocking. It was oh, full. It was this was a real big occasion, and uh, I think that was kind of cool to see. Uh, Inter's depth not as good as Juventus. Sensini right. goes out. He's been terrific for them so far this season, and. Vecino comes in to replace him, not the same type of player. Um, and, you know, Inter was really hurt when Sensi was out. Um, and, you know, like, maybe I'm a little disappointed that uh, that Lukaku, you know, didn't do more in this game. I'm starting to feel like Lautaro is the maybe the best forward on that team. Oh, Lautaro Martinez is on fire right now. But I think a lot of, like, why Martinez is doing well is because um, Lukaku's given him the ability to create some space for himself, right? Um, I think that partnership is, is working well. I agree. I think it would have been good. Uh, I think, uh, you know, he Lukaku did have some good opportunities to either, you know, score or create a, an almost but certain opportunity for Martinez to score as well, especially in the first half. Um, but it's early, and I think that Inter Milan is, is definitely, you know, I think your argument of being the closest contender to, you know, getting the Scudetto is Inter is, is 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 living stronger by the minute. I think this is a good Inter Milan team, and you know it's it's only October, but it's definitely something to watch for. Let's move to Barcelona Sevilla. Barcelona four Sevilla nil in Spain, and uh, we got to see Leo Messi score a goal here. We got to see Barcelona um, really. You know, I thought performed well in this game, and Luis Suarez just oh. had a tremendous week overall. Is is the old Luisito back? Yep, that's right. And you know what? We talk about Robert Lewandowski. Here's the man that could, you know, that rivals him, right? Now, finally, back to fitness and score. I mean, guys, if you haven't seen the highlights of this, watch. It's not like, <laughs> especially, uh, you know, Suarez's goal was just absolutely beautiful and this was a Barcelona that was ticking uh, Lionel Messi scoring a fantastic free kick I loved Usmane Dembele's fake um, you know yeah. on his goal as well um, oh side note uh, his red card <laughs> I don't know Grant <laughs> if, you wanna, if you want to set the scene but apparently what happened was you know uh, a lot of commotion at the very end uh, where the referee um, was sending off Ronald Araujo in the 87th minute and um, you know in the commotion of it, arguing, Usmane Dembele went up to the ref, apparently, and said, Tu eres malo. <laughs> you are bad. <laughs> <laughs> and on one side, I'm saying, I'm thinking, well, you know, I guess uh, it wasn't the greatest decision, maybe, for, for that for that this red card. But you've been in Spain for two years now, Usmane Dembele. Can't you do a little bit better than that? Maybe a whole paragraph and a sentence to the ref? I mean, at least he's doing better than Gareth Bell in speaking Spanish. I was going to say, the, the, here's what I want to see on TV is a, a competition between Gareth Bale and Usman Dembele <laughs> to see how much Spanish they can speak. <laughs> Usman Dembele, by the way, refused to answer any questions on the sending off, and we still have to figure out exactly what he said, but the reports are that's what he said. Well, Valverde, the, the manager for Barcelona, said after the game that uh, it's not like he's had any much luck com or communicating to Dembele in Spanish himself. So he's, he, he was surprised that he would know enough Spanish to say something that nasty to the ref. And if that's what he said, you're bad. 
Who gets sent off for that? Yeah. Also, how like how about kicking your player when you're down? He gets sent off, and your manager says, "Yeah, you know what? His Spanish is terrible, so I'm, I'm surprised." <laughs> really good uh, Lionel Messi free kick. Oh, beautiful. Uh, we've seen so many of these over the years. I've come to the conclusion that Messi is better at free kicks than at penalties at this point. Oh yeah, that's for sure. You know. Um, now, in terms of Spain, uh, let's talk a little bit. I, I just want to. I uh, mentioned my own experience over the weekend here. I mentioned I was doing a story on Ronaldo. He's the owner of Real Valladolid. Um, and I had never gone to a La Liga game until Sunday. Oh, really? Outside of, Bar- or outside of Barcelona or Real Madrid. Uh-huh. And so it was a good experience for me to sort of you know, get out into the country and, and get a taste of things. And, and Valladolid... Uh, had a full stadium against Atletico. They tied the game 0-0. Uh, Valladolid is a team that is sort of yo-yo between the, the first division and second division over the last few years. Ronaldo has bought them. Um, and, you know, uh, they're they're doing okay this season. They got 10 points so far and are at least in a position where they're not worried as of yet about being relegated. Uh, and Ronaldo has big plans for this team. But... Um, uh, it, it was just an interesting experience for me. Uh, just the the enthusiasm for Valladolid, talking to their fans. Uh, there's people here actually, or here in in Spain, Valladolid fans who actually wear Valladolid jerseys with Ronaldo in number nine on the back, as if he actually played for them. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny. yeah. Listen, listeners, guys, he's not selling this enough. You can you go to Grant Wall's Instagram? He's sitting on the bench with Ronaldo. Can we please talk about that? Ronaldo is so, so, an absolute legend. Anything to be in this, you know, near 50 meters of this man is incredible. And there you are, like you're like the assistant coach. Well, here's what I'll, I'll explain. I want to say, if, you know, I don't want to say too, too much because I'm, I am writing a magazine story eventually on this. and want to say some of it for that. But uh, so on Saturday, the day before the first team game, I went. Uh, with Ronaldo to the second team game between uh, Valladolid and Real Sociedad. They're actually the first and second place teams in uh, their lower league in Spain. And mm-hmm. guess who was coaching Real Sociedad Bay? Who was? Xabi Alonso. Oh my so, God. like, <laughs> what is it's this, this crazy situation? It's it's this crazy situation where. There's only a few hundred people in the stand. It's not even in their main stadium. Right. And and I'm sitting on this bench next to Ronaldo and Julio Baptista, who's the under-17 coach now yeah. at Valladolid. Yeah. Great player in his own right, also a former Real Madrid player. And then 25 feet away from us is the Sociedad bench, and it's freaking Xabi Alonso coaching the team. Absolutely amazing. Yeah, he's a Real Sociedad B manager. I think, I mean, there's no doubt that there's a, he will take over, you know, a major team, you know, whether it's Real Sociedad's first team, um, you know, his youth career uh, was at Real Sociedad. So, you know, and, you know, the beginning of his career. So you never know. But what a weekend. My God. Yeah. Can you uh, listen? uh, You should recruit them for our five aside team. That'd be good. But it's interesting, isn't it? You had three former Real Madrid players there, Julia Baptista, Ronaldo, and Xabi Alonso, and they're not working for Real Madrid. I know. That's so funny. Well, you know, um, the um, the Real Madrid wage maybe not be that big now that it's going all to, you know, Sinedine and Co. So 
they might have to wait their turn. <laughs> um, while we're talking about the continent in Europe here, I do want to talk about Jesse Marsh's Red Bull Salzburg team, which that was an amazing scene midweek. We talked a little bit about it on our video show, but uh, it was totally coincidental, to be honest, that I happened to be in Liverpool doing this clap story while they were playing Jesse Marsh's Salzburg team. But I ended up writing something about Marsh and Salzburg after this epic four to three Liverpool victory where, you know, it's the second Champions League game for Jesse Marsh, first American ever to manage in Champions League. They go down three nil to Liverpool in the first half. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh boy, this is going to be a long night for Jesse and his team that... They're looking at a 5-0, a 7-0, something horrible. And then everything changed. And we're here at Anfield. It's my first game ever attending uh, a game at Anfield. Great atmosphere. Liverpool is perfect in the league. European champions. And Jesse Marsh's team goes from 3-0 down to 3-3 in the second half. And it just was this really special environment and, and Marsh runs down the length of the touchline to celebrate the third goal with his team. Um, and then Liverpool gets the winner from Mo Salah a few minutes later, about uh, two thirds of the way through the second half and ends up getting the win. But uh, just talking to Marsh after the game, it was an interesting situation uh, where we went to the press conference after the game and eight of the 10 questions for Jesse Marsh in the press conference were in German and he responds in German because he's actually learned German. And so I'm kind of frustrated, you know? <laughs> so I, I went up to Jesse right as he was leaving. I said, look, can we talk in English for a few minutes? And he's great. So he said, yeah. So we ducked into a corner and talked for about five, 10 minutes. And I was able to write an SI.com piece off it. Uh, anyone who follows this knows, like I go back a long ways with Jesse Marsh. He uh, went to uh, college with me at Princeton. Um, just, uh, it's pretty amazing to see how much work he's done to put himself in this position. And then you saw the, the video of his halftime speech to his team. Oh God, that was so good. German, half in English, more than 2 million views now. Uh, and I almost wonder as that has gone viral, if, that has caused more people around the world to take note of Jesse Marsh this week than his team taking Liverpool to the limit. Oh, 1,000%. That was a, if you haven't seen it, you need to watch it, partly because I love the um, English that comes in between his German, specifically the, the choice of words that he says. <laughs> I, I love it. I love it so much. But listen, like this is what your regular soccer fan wants. In this day and age of transparency and behind the scenes, you want to see... What is being said at halftime? What is the makeup? What is the relationship between the manager and the team? And we know, I know that, you know, as you mentioned too on Twitter, that, you know, Jurgen Klopp, uh, you know, was quite a saying, you know, if this had not been done with me, you know, uh, you know, I'm not happy, you know, I wouldn't have been happy with it or whatever. But like you said, it's, you know, this is, uh, this is a, a team that's, that still needs a lot of recognition in, in a league that still needs a right. lot of recognition and a manager that still needs a lot of recognition. There is nothing wrong in, a, in many ways to see this kind of passion and exactly what he, what is he saying? I mean, this is Salzburg against the defending Champions League champion at halftime down three, nothing. They come back to three, three, only three, two. one. They three, come. One. Yeah, I'm sorry. Three, one. They come back. In the best of ways, at second half, 
and you want to know what was being said and how was it being you know adjusted in order for this to happen and it's great to see and you know by the way this weekend they won six nothing so um you know it's 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 all super interesting and and it's great and you know he's been a you know aside from your long relationship with him you know we know i know him a little bit through the interviews on planet football tv and he he's a great person he's a he's a great human being and it's it's good to see it, that it's being noticed yeah um it was interesting before the game i actually met up there were some people in liverpool from the us scott garlic uh former dc united goalkeeper uh and his son came over they uh he and his family vacationed with marsh and uh, their family they played on dc united together and it was fun to catch up with scott and then uh, we all met up with uh jesse's wife and their kids uh before the game outside anfield uh, at a bar there and uh just a really cool atmosphere um and also neat too i thought that um a couple things on jesse he had been to anfield before as a 16 year old and when he was uh, playing in a soccer tournament in the area and they went to a game at anfield and he snuck down on the field to get uh, a handful of soil from anfield that he took away with him and he told (laughs) me he still has that at his house and then uh, also just the connection uh, obviously the Beatles are from Liverpool uh, and Jesse and his wife are such Beatles fans that they named one of their sons Lennon uh, wow. and he was there that's great as well so uh, just an amazing story what's happening there and now in Champions League Salzburg you know they've got three points after two games and they have two games coming up now against Napoli they get them at home first and those are going to be decisive I think in whether Salzburg finds a way to to somehow advance from this group and I think they've got a shot yeah I take nothing away from this absolutely I mean listen there is no way in the world that I would a rule them out and and b not thinking that they can deliver yet again especially at home especially at home this is a a team to watch out for, and you know, uh, Napoli's leading right now with four points. Liverpool three, Red Bull three, Genk one. But you could definitely see, you know, a win against Napoli. It's not necess- it's not going to be easy, <laughs> absolutely. But why not? Why not? So before we go to uh, U.S. soccer, let's talk a little bit about Germany because the Bundesliga is absolutely crazy right now. You've got eight teams within four points of each other at the top. That team at the top right now is Borussia Mönchengladbach, uh, not the team anyone expected to be there. And you had Bayern Munich after a tremendous performance, winning 7-2 to midweek at Spurs, gets beat at home 2-1 to by Hoffenheim over the weekend and is that an aberration or i mean it it certainly seems like that in in how bayern has been playing but is germany going to be like this all season i think so i mean and then dortmund like you said and then squandering a 90th minute own goal wasn't it like it's just insane Mm -hmm. right now it's insane now i mean listen like the the hoffenheim hoffenheim game uh Bayern had 20 shots to Hoffenheim's eight, 64% possession, uh, almost double the passes uh, during the game. So obviously everything was ticking in terms of the strategy. But, you know, um, Adamian scored in the 54th and 79th minute to make it 2-1 in the second half. So there were adjustments for them themselves. But this right now is a wide open Bundesliga. And sometimes after you come from... A tremendous performance like Bayern did against Tottenham, 
um, again, it's, it's, it can be sometimes difficult to maintain that kind of aggression. So maybe that's what happened and Hoffenheim, you know, found them at right at the right time. Yeah, I, it's, it's stunning to me just to see what's happening here because Bayern has won this league so many times in a row and they're the, the heavy favorite to do it again. Uh, you know, coming into the, into the season, we all talked about, you know, Dortmund and Leipzig might, you know, give Bayern a run and, and Dortmund and, and Leipzig are certainly in that group of eight teams within four points at the top. Um, you know, in terms of, of Leipzig, 1-1 uh, at Leverkusen, not terrible, but Leipzig's been going through, you know, some aches and pains a little bit lately as far as results. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, special mention to uh, to Marco Rose, right? And Gladbach, um, just the way that yeah. he's, just the way that he's got this team going, it's uh, it's it's it, you know top of the table right now. It's, it's again, again, again. It's only October, but I'm with you. I think this Bundesliga race is wide open right now, and I think the teams can rely, hopefully on the overburdened schedule of the you know the top teams like Bayern and Dortmund to, to, to try and grab something even more. So let's move to the U.S. Decision Day in MLS, last game of the regular season. Uh, we'll talk later on uh, in the week or two ahead in those future podcasts looking forward to the MLS playoffs because those, those won't start until after the international break. But in terms of reacting to this weekend, uh, for me, two big things stand out. We talked a little bit about this on our video show late last week. Uh, LAFC is one of those things. They win to get to 72 points on the season. That's a record for a team in MLS one year after the Red Bulls had broken that, that record. Carlos Vela, single-season MLS record with 34 goals Just for tremendous. LAFC. Uh, has a hat trick on the last day of the regular season to get to 34. That and what a hat trick, by the year way. Year-old record. <laughs> oh, God. I, like, what can we say that we haven't said already about LAFC and Carlos Vela? Nothing. This is a tremendous season for <laughs> LAFC, and they should be so happy. And I think that every team heading into the playoffs that has to face them has to fear them. Uh, the home advantage is key. Um, this is a Bob Bradley side that gets it, that's sinking well. So all that needs now is that momentum to just carry on and keep going. And Carlos Vela has been incredible, fully deserves those 34 goals. That hat trick was amazing. Um, and you could tell that he, he wanted to prove a point and finish on a good note in the regular season. And LAFC, I think, by far is the best team and the, and, and the team to watch as we head in the postseason. And I think they will get a significant advantage from this playoff structure, yeah. right? Because as the the winner of the conference, they're the only team in the conference that gets a bye uh, in the first round. They're all single elimination games this season. Uh, and then, uh, you know, they'll be the home team in any game that they play and as long huge. as they survive. And that's huge, Grant. for the final. And that's huge. That's something that everybody needs to realize. I think that... Obviously, when you talk about home advantage, it can be a, 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 a dubious conversation in different leagues. But I think in MLS, dependent on the strength of the culture of your own club, it can be really significant. And LAFC is proof of that. I think that the fact that they have home advantage throughout the whole time, all the way MLS Cup, if they make it, 
that's that's key that is huge because that atmosphere just you could just see it and i can't even begin to imagine what it's going to look like in the playoffs so you know it's a heroic and brave team that that is able to beat them in back in california stadium the other sort of standout news from the mls final day of the regular season portland gets into the playoffs uh, by beating San Jose, which is out as a result. Dairon Aspria. Dairon Aspria. He is the Reggie Jackson of the MLS <laughs> postseason and late regular season. Um, and Matias Almeida may be on his way out. What, what do we know about this, about the possibilities of Almeida going to Monterrey? Yeah, Monterrey is interested. And I don't think that Almeida is the kind of manager that is just going to completely ignore it, especially returning to a league that he knows well. Um, but I think that he's staying in San Jose, at least for a Really? I, 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 I just, when I talked to him early at the beginning of the season, he kept discussing with me the, the fact that he is not just about helping this team move up the table but changing the culture and I think he's very attracted to that I mean I it, it wouldn't be like a complete shock to me if he returned to Liga MX but I, I'd like to think that he's a man of his word and he wants to stay put he was very close on reaching the playoffs in his debut season and hopefully San Jose can persuade him to stay he's a tremendous manager I, would, I wouldn't you know, um, I think MLS is lucky to have a manager like him. So, But it would be an interesting appeal just because it's Monterrey. And Monterrey is a team that might appeal to him from the fact that it's, you know, obviously one of the best teams in Mexico. But if if hopefully he stands to the fact that he wants to help San Jose Earthquakes not just uh, go up the table, but really uh, rebuild an identity. I'd like to see Almeida stay in MLS because I think he's yeah. good for the league. I think he did good things overall this year at San Jose, even though they struggled late in the season and ended up missing the playoffs. Um, but I think he's a real personality who brings something that not every coach has in this league. Um, other news from the weekend. I thought this was interesting. Uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, Wayne Rooney, their teams, LA Galaxy and DC United, really sort of wet the bed on the last day of the regular season and as a result, will both both teams will have to go on the road to start the playoffs. Um, Ibrahimovic and the Galaxy losing to the already eliminated Houston Dynamo, I thought uh, just showed how terrible the defense is for the Galaxy. Uh, and then DC United <laughs> was playing nine-man Cincinnati, worst team in the league, playing with nine men for more than half the game in DC. And D.C. can't get the result it needs. Yeah. And so you have to feel like it's hard to feel confident about the Galaxy and D.C. United heading into the postseason. Absolutely. I'll start with Galaxy because this is absolutely, you know, for the second straight season, by the way, they coped, you know, they they, yeah. they gave up a lead against the Dino, Dynamo. And, you know, uh, it wasn't as bad as, as, as last year when it was, uh, you know, a 2 nothing lead, fell 3-2, missed the playoffs, right? Obviously, they're still in it. Uh, but still, the 4-2 defeat, you know, now means they have to go to a good Minnesota. This is a good yeah. team that, no, like, uh, a beautiful stadium, you know, energetic fans. They have qualms to fix because they obviously didn't make the playoffs last season. Um, and then, like you said, you know, uh, D.C. playing against uh, a nine-man Cincinnati and couldn't get the job done. 
Nine man Cincinnati, unbelievable. Maybe that'll be a good thing for them as they move on to to next season because they were abysmal this year. Um, nice. No more though, Wayne that, Rooney. Yeah? No more Wayne. No more Wayne Rooney at DC anymore. You would think. Uh, Unless some like crazy scenario in the playoffs were to happen where they play a team lower seated than them, which is very very unlikely at this point. Yeah. Um, the only thing else I would mention is uh, Demarcus Beasley and Tim Howard played their final games of their careers uh, on Sunday. And these are, I mean, the Soccer Hall of Fame has its issues. I certainly hope these guys easily get into the National Soccer Hall of Fame. They should. Um, And when you look back, and I'm old enough now to look back at the start of their careers, and I remember when they broke through, and I remember covering them. um, And there were players who showed promise, but then they realized a lot of that promise and are two of the greatest players the U.S. has ever produced. So just want to raise a glass to DeMarcus Beasley and Tim Howard on, on two remarkable careers. 1000%. And I would, I, 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 DeMarcus Beasley to me, a a player, uh, Tom Dart from the guardian wrote, you know, something nice about him. And, you know, he's so right in saying that, you know, a U.S. men's national team player with no interest in the limelight. He was just, Somebody that gave everything for his team, um, you know, a tremendous resume, you know, uh, PSV and Rangers. Uh, I think he became the first uh, American player to play in a team of the last four of the Champions League, uh, which was back uh, in 2006, 2007, I think. Just such a great player. And obviously, Tim Howard, what can you say about him? One of the greatest goalkeepers this country has ever seen. Uh, male goalkeepers and you know another you know salute to both of them for sure yeah you can make the argument that demarcus beasley is the best american has had the best champions league career of any american ever yeah uh when you look at what he did for goose hittings uh psv teams uh in that tournament especially but um uh in a way he was almost hurt by the fact that it was a lot harder to watch champions league in those days in the U S and, um, you know, otherwise I think he would be even more revered 1000% American fans. It's a good point. It's a Um, good point. An inform 24 year old DeMarcus Beasley right now. Can you imagine? Um, and let's say, uh, something about another person who said goodbye, at least to the position of U.S. women's national team coach this weekend. Jill Ellis, two-time world champion, leaving on her own terms. Pretty hard to argue with two straight World Cup titles. Um, What would you like to say about Jill Ellis? Jill Ellis is the winningest coach in U.S. history. What else can you say about this person? That, by the way, including ourselves, has gone through her career facing criticism, both externally and internally, has had to Uh deal with so much, um, has had to manage a team who, even though we know they are the greatest, uh, you know, they are the world champions, because it's the women's squad and the women's game, still has obviously also had to deal with, uh, you know, issues of equality and uh, facing tremendous obstacles both you know being as a manager and outside of it um and i'll say this one more thing i think it's very easy to forget 
that many head coaches, men or women, often struggle with dealing with superstars, right? With the mm -hmm. ego of the player. I don't think there is a manager out there better equipped than Jill Ellis has ever been in dealing with that specific situation. She managed to go through all the waves of adversity and lead a team and make them a unit, you know? Uh, you know, and, and that to me is, is something that, that should really be recognized aside from her, you know, just how she was as a, as, how she was as a coach for the U.S. women's team, but also just how she handled it as a diplomat and as a manager. And it's, it's really great to see. And congratulations to Jill Ellis. Uh, very well deserved and all the best for the future. Yeah, I, I want to add that uh, as well. You know, uh, I don't know how much I mentioned it in the past. Jill Ellis, not always the biggest fan of my work, unfortunately, but <laughs> uh, a lot of that was due to I would break news about her lineup choices uh, several hours before a game saying so-and-so is not going to start. Uh, and she didn't like that, which, you know, look, I, I was reporting the truth, so I'm, I'm certainly not going to apologize for that. Right. Um, but I can separate some of the stuff that was like me doing my job and she maybe not liking that from the respect that I have for her and, and what she achieved here, because it is not easy, as you said, managing a team of superstars yeah. and, uh, and her relationship with some of those superstars wasn't always the best, but that's part of the deal. And she found a way to make it work and to win two straight world cups. She changed a lot about that team between 2016 and 2019. And, uh, and so Jill Ellis, will go down in history for what she achieved. I'm very curious to see what she does next. I don't think this is a situation like I'm a Jacquet who won a world cup with uh, France in 1998 and then never coached again. I think Jill Ellis will probably coach again. And so I'm curious to see what that next step is. Yeah. She's still hungry. You can see it. Hopefully, you know, we'll find out soon enough, but congratulations. So let's finish this up with a couple of, of questions from listeners that we got here. Um, we do this every week. If you want to send in a question, you can do that at planetfootballpodcast at gmail.com. That's planetfootballpodcast at gmail.com. Really appreciate the questions we've been getting from everyone. Yes, thank and you. To, yes, to start here, is, this question is from Courtney Stith of Montclair, New Jersey. What's something you guys are excited about in the soccer footballing world? Kind of an open-ended one here, Luis Miguel. What's your answer? Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah. Thank, thanks a lot, Courtney. Uh, <laughs> you know what? I'm going to talk about Aston Villa, all right? 5-1 against okay. Norwich. Um, now, listen, uh, you know, if you know our work, if you know me, you know that I'm a lifelong Aston Villa fan, and it was a joy to see a 5-1 result against Norwich City. Granted, a Norwich City that had a lot of players missing during injury, but there is a system there, a strategy, a philosophy that Dean Smith, the manager, is building. And, you know, from being a fan since I was 11 years old to now, it's, it's so great to see Villa back in the Premier League and hopefully staying up. And I'm excited about... You know, just seeing this team develop, especially Jack Grealish. And it's very difficult mm -hmm. for me to be saying this as a neutral, obviously. But I really hope people pay attention to how he plays. This is a lifelong childhood 
Aston Villa player, and he was tremendous once again this past weekend. And he's a very unique type of attacking midfielder. He's not a James Madison type, very direct, who loves to, you know, penetrate the box. But when you watch him play, he loves to hold the ball, bring defenders in, and open spaces for his teammates. Um, he's gone through so much. We know, you know, what happened obviously earlier this year. You know, when Aston Villa played Birmingham City, and uh, you know, a fan entered the pitch and 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 you know uh, assaulted him, uh, and he kept on going and scored the winner against SI. So, you know, I'm a very very passionate Aston Villa fan. It's good to see that team do well. And, and here's my tipping my hat to Jack Grealish. Nice, nice. What about I, you, I my friend? Something. Oh, no, yeah. You yeah, want to talk? what am I excited about? Uh, I am excited about the MLS playoffs. Yeah. And uh, you'll hear plenty from me during the year about how I wish the MLS regular season mattered more. I wish it did. Uh, I wish fewer than 14 teams made the MLS playoffs. But now that we are here and these MLS playoffs will start after the international break and the games will come fast and furious and there's single elimination and we're going to have a champion decided before the next international break in November. So I think it should be a lot of fun to follow the, the playoffs, to get stuck in on it, and every game is going to be an elimination game. And I've said this before, desperation soccer produces some first-rate entertainment. And 1, so I am fired up. Um, and so I'm going to watch every MLS playoff game. Uh, I'm going to be uh, on Twitter talking about every MLS playoff game. And uh, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty jazzed about it. Yeah, I'm I well said. I'm I'm with you. I think this uh new playoff format suits well. Uh bring on MLS playoffs. I great well said. Desperation soccer brings out the best and the worst, which is also the best. So I can't wait to see. <laughs> we got one more question here. It's from Barrett Madden in Framingham, Massachusetts, and the question is regarding MLS and parity, do you think that MLS will make personnel rule changes to restore parity given that four of the five best records ever seen in the league and two of the three worst have been in the last three years? And I think that's a good question about what we're seeing because LAFC was far and away the best team in the league uh, this year. Um, you know, last year, the Red Bulls set a record for points in a season right ahead of Atlanta last season. Atlanta ends up winning the league. But I'll be honest, I have no problem with LAFC being this good this season. And so I certainly don't want to see MLS do anything to try and increase parity at this point. I, I think we are starting to see some separation from teams that are willing to spend a bit more than others, but I don't think it's that much separation. I really don't, and I, I would hate to see... I, I guess the only thing I would say is... is Okay, I understand why there's a salary cap. Maybe there should be a salary floor as well so that you mm. wouldn't have some teams spending really too low. Uh, and, and we certainly know what some of, who some of those teams are. But, uh, you know, like every team has three designated players uh, and, you know, they can get those three designated players. And I, and I think moving in the other direction to try and restore some sort of idea parity seems like that would not work. I 1000% agree. And listen, Barrett, I, I think the question is really good, but 
in a league where relegation doesn't exist, parity can begin next year as fast as that sometimes. Uh, like you said, everybody gets three DPs. Obviously, some teams struggle more than others, specifically because of ownership or you know the balancing uh, the checkbook in terms of uh, wages to players and stuff, etc. But there is no relegation in this team. Seven teams make the playoffs in each conference. Think about that. I mean, is, if that's not parity, I don't know what is. Like the next time... The next season is another page to turn, another chance to rewrite and reconfigure you know, what you can do in this league. I think if you are really struggling, really struggling in this league, it's less about parity and more about really having an internal look at your own situation and how you can fix it. So we told you it was a busy week, and it was a busy weekend in the soccer world. We've gone for almost an hour and 10 minutes here, so let's wrap this up. Uh, I I do want to give a plug. If you get a chance and you're listening to this, to to check out other episodes each week of the Planet Football podcast. Every Thursday, or every Monday, we come out with Luis Miguel and me talking about the weekend in soccer. Every Thursday, there's an interview with somebody interesting from the soccer world, most recent interview I did was with uh, with Joe Mansueto, the new full owner of the Chicago Fire. That was a really interesting interview to me. And uh, I'll also give a plug to my interview with Asif Kapadia, the director of the film Diego Maradona, which is now available to watch on HBO. Some really interesting reactions from viewers to that debuting last week. I'd also give a plug to our Planet Football TV video show that comes out every Thursday night. You can also get it Fridays or anytime uh, that's free globally on YouTube, and Luis Miguel and I have had a lot of fun with that. You carried us last week while I was out of town and had a really uh, interesting interview with Jorge Mas and Paul McDonough of Inter Miami. Anything stand out to you the most about that interview? That they're very well groomed, so close up. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is a this is a team that is uh, you know the questions obviously were asked about the managerial search and the player search, but make no mistake about it, they are looking for big names. And something that really popped up was both both player and manager. They want somebody. A manager, they want somebody that's played the game before at a high, high level. We're talking away from MLS. We're talking Europe. That's what he said. And the other one, player-wise, well, all the names are going to be thrown in there, but they definitely want the South American incentive. So make that of what you will. Really good interview. I suggest everyone check that out. And my friend, we are done. Thanks so much for spending this much time with me on your Monday. And let's do it again next week. Thank you so much. Have some croquetas on me. Take care.